Hey, Vanilla. Look, I'm afraid I shan't be able to get back for dinner. Huh? Yeah, sort of war's broken out. podcast and the nerds who haunted themselves. I'm Stuart Moraine and each episode I'm joined by a guest to talk about a movie they love and see where the conversation takes us from there. If you're a regular listener, thank you and welcome back to the show. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome to the show and thank you for giving us a listen. I hope you enjoyed the film talk and as always, and if you feel like doing so, you can keep the conversation going in the comments on our socials, in the Amway Not Facebook group or wherever you see this episode posted. For this episode, I'm joined by Jim Beard as we discuss the 1967 James Bond comedy Casino Royale. Uh, one quick note on this episode, I've always taken worldwide box office gross from IMDb. But in this case, it was wrong, and I didn't clock it until I was uh, reading out in the episode. Um, the actual worldwide box office, according to thenumbers.com, is $41,744,718. Apologies for the error in the episode. And now, with an advance warning on spoilers and all that introduction stuff out of the way, let's roll the trailer. <laughs> Casino Royale is too much for one James Bond. Join the Casino Royale fun movement. Mr. Bond, I'm Lieutenant Mathis of the Special Police. Peter Sellers is James Bond. These are my credentials. They appear to be in order. Ursula Andress is James Bond. David Niven is James Bond. Woody Allen is James Bond. My, my doctor says I can't have bullets enter my body at any time. <laughs> what if I said I was pregnant? Joanna Pettit is James Bond. Rather warm in here, don't you think? Cool it, Charlie. Casino Royale is too much for one James Bond. Orson Welles is the heaviest heavy of Smirch. Dahlia Lavi is James Bond. I'm the new secret weapon. Casino Royale is too much for one James Bond. Next, Terence Cooper is James Bond. Barbara Boucher is James Bond. Casino Royale is indestructibly wild. Hello, sailor. Indescribably funny. Oh, you like that sort of thing, eh? <laughs> Join the Casino Royale fun movement. Hello, Jim. How are you? Hey, good. Thank you. How's things? How's life treating you? 
pr- pretty good. Uh, I uh, I just watched my daily episode of Doctor Who, so I'm I'm feeling good here. <laughs> I, I I had to get in the mood uh, uh, today to uh, to talk to you f- from the UK, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> It was, yeah, it's, it's my it's my follow up to watching uh, Ultraman. Uh, I spent a couple, uh, well, almost two years watching uh, Ultraman from the very beginning, all the way up to a to the two thousand six series or something like that. And when I was done, I I said, okay, what what else can I you know what other cultural icon can I watch next? And I said, well, it's got to be the you know the British Ultraman, which is Doctor <laughs> Who. And and then uh, I but my OCD demands that I start from the beginning and watch everything. <laughs> so yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm in the I'm in the early William Hartnell days. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite good that they've started to piece some of those together on the Patrick Trout ones with the animated bits yeah. as well to fill in the blanks. Yeah. It's, it's quite nice because when I started buying all the DVDs, there was so many missing. Not that you needed them to follow the story kind of thing. Most of the key stuff sure. was there. Sure. But, um, yeah, and and I'm almost. Uh, afraid to head into the uh, the second doctor because uh, my co-host on the podcast that I'm doing about watching the show he's he's warned me that they're almost they're like a good chunk of those are gone yeah the Patrick Troughton so in fact his very first storyline is just is just gone so we, yeah. we're I know they found chunks of stuff. I think every so often yeah. somebody goes in their attic and finds a videotape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, what's this? <laughs> That's it. Seems to be the way it goes. But looks like a, a Doctor Who reel. <laughs> taped over or put in landfill or <laughs> under building sites, that sort of thing. But <laughs> it, it's a shame. But I understand it from a historical perspective that it didn't mean anything to the BBC at that time. Yeah, I think in many ways it's amazing we've got as many episodes as we have. Yeah, good way to put it, honestly. Uh, I, and I think a lot of people should look at it from from that uh, standpoint of, wow, we still have all of this, when it could all have been wiped. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like I say, luckily they've still got the audio for some of them, so they can piece it together with animation and that, which they do Indeed. fairly well, I think. Yeah. Telesnaps. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning the lingo here. <laughs> Because uh, I know they did it with Sharda, but it was very strange how they did it. The initial mm. Sharda they released on video, quite an odd mix of stuff. But but yeah, but yeah. Um, we we were talking about another English icon, <laughs> um, but but not, <laughs> not necessarily. necessarily this particular movie, but what it's about. Yeah, yes. yeah, not not potentially in the guys that most people think of. Um, <laughs> no. So yeah, so we're talking about Casino Royale, the 1967 one. Um, so a little bit of information about the film. Uh, so directed by John Huston, Ken Hughes, Robert Parrish, Joe McGrath, and Val Guest, uh, with um, an uncredited directorial effort from Richard Talma- uh, Talmadge. Uh, written by Wolf Mankovic, uh, John Law, and Michael Sayers, with uncredited writing by Woody Allen, Peter Sellers, Billy Wilder, Ben Hesch, uh, Joseph Heller and Terry Southern, additional dialogue <laughs> by Val Guest, um, suggested by the Ian Fleming novel. <laughs> starring, and I've just gone from the main starring ones, not everybody that's on the poster, Peter Sellers, Ursula Andres, David Niven, Woody Allen, Joanne Petit, uh, Orson Welles, and Dahlia, uh, Dahlia Lavi. Uh, released in cinemas on the 28th of April 1967 in the US, and we got it on the 23rd of April 1967 in the UK. 
Um, according to IMDb, it grossed $2,324 worldwide on an estimated budget of $12 million. Um, mm. I can't help but feel that that's missing a number somewhere. I know it wasn't, it bombed, but that still feels quite low. Um, See, now that's interesting because now I, I there's a there's a book about the uh, the it called literally the making of Casino Royale nineteen sixty seven and that one actually says that it it did well in the yeah. United States. So maybe, yeah, I don't know I've, I've read that in places. Maybe. So yeah, I, I'm not sure. Like I say, that's according to IMDb. I didn't yeah do much further digging. Um, Roger Ebert gave the film two stars out of four, saying at one time or another Casino and Royale undoubtedly had a shooting schedule and a script and a plot. If any one of the three ever turns up, it might be the making of a good movie. In the meantime, <laughs> the present version is the definitive example of what can happen when everybody working on a film goes simultaneously berserk. This is possibly <laughs> the most indulgent film ever made. Anything goes. Consistency and planning must have seemed like a merest whimsy. Um, and again, I couldn't find a Barry Norman review. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Barry Norman, but he was essentially our UK version of the, the name sounds Roger familiar. Ebert. Um, he was our yeah. big film critic on BBC for a long time. I think Roger Ebert's review is fairly fair. <laughs> I, I, love, too, I love that review. <laughs> I, I mean, I love the film, but but I'll take that review. I think it's, it's actually, you know, he actually described many of the reasons why I love the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's one of those films that I think potentially the making of the film is more interesting than the uh, finished product. But <laughs> I, I'll give you that. It's, <laughs> it's definitely an interesting movie. So sort of kicking off, what are your memories of first seeing it? Was it? Uh... I was thinking about this today when I was driving home from work because I knew that you would ask that. And as far as I can remember, I saw it on television in, and it was most likely 1977. Uh, I, I gauged lots of things by big events in my life, and my parents got divorced in 76. And it was definitely after that. Uh, and my dad had remarried and had moved into, you know, a house uh, with his new wife. Um, I'm pretty sure I watched it on television in 77. And you know what's amazing about that? Thinking now is the movie was only about 10 years old. Yeah. By the time I watched it. Uh, and I was, I remember being very captivated by it. And what I was really captivated by, which still to this day is practically my number one reason I love the movie is the music, is the soundtrack. Yeah. I will die on the hill of the soundtrack to this movie is one of the best film soundtracks of all time. Yeah, it's, uh, the music is great. It's just a fantastic Burt Bacharach, the 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 late great now Burt Bacharach uh, uh, music, uh, the theme song played by Herb Alper and the Tijuana Brass. Uh, the the as far as I know, it, it was a hit song, "The Look of Love" by Dusty Springfield. Uh, and and just it, it's a soundtrack that I can listen to over and over and over again. You don't necessarily need the movie. <laughs> and I'm sure some people would like to jettison uh, the the movie, but um, but again, my next to the Empire Strikes Back, I think probably my favorite movie soundtrack of yeah. all. What happened was is I think I mentioned to my dad that I had watched the movie and he said oh i've got the rec the album of it the soundtrack album 
and I was at his house and he got out that album and, and put it on the stereo and played it for me. And, and that really reinforced my interest in the music, especially that, that theme song, the theme, you know, the, the, yeah. the main theme and, and the, the whole love affair began there. Uh, I had no idea that it was so detested throughout the world, <laughs> but I've always really loved the, what I call the, the big romps, those sixties, mostly British romps of, of movies. Uh, this, this movie has some connective tissue to what's, what's new pussycat. Yeah. Uh, as far as people who are in it and, and, uh, uh, I believe the music is also, I think that's Burt Bacharach too, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, or was, yeah. Wrote the, yeah, the, the theme song. Um, there's so many of those. And when, when you found one of those on the tel television, you know, it was like, Oh, you could just settle in and, and what a good time it was. And, you know, they'd have uh, a million stars and it would just turn into a thing where everybody's running here and there and crazy things happen. And, and who cared what it was to yeah. me, this, this is the ultimate form of the big splashy romp of a movie of the mid to late 60s. Yeah. Now, I remember seeing it on telly when I was a child, and I remember getting upset that Peter Sellers died in the film. Yeah. It was the guy from Pink Panther. And, yeah. You know, as a it's child, kind of, it's, you, you don't process kind of that sort vague. of thing. So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so it's, I remember, I remember walking out of the room at that point, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and being like, "I'm done." Um, and then I caught it years. Well, I bought it years later because I got into Bond around about '96. I caught one of them on telly and fell back in love with Bond. So I bought all the videos and then picked up this as a curio um, and the TV um, adaptation that they did. I picked those two up on video and. Um, I watched it then. I watched it when I bought it on DVD, and I've caught odd bits on telly. But until I rewatched it again today for this, the first time in a long time that I've actually sat down and rewatched it properly. Um, okay, <laughs> it's. I mean, it's definitely a curio. It's, it's a wonderful <laughs> experiment. I, I kind of get what they were trying to go for. But... Uh huh. Stu Stuart, this is a safe space. You're among friends here. <laughs> uh, you know, you believe me. I've heard it all about this film. <laughs> And I've even been attacked for my love for this film. You know, say say what you will for it. And the funny thing is, is it makes me, it makes me love the film even more. And it, you know, I used to joke that I'm one of like four people in the world that love this this movie. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I like bad films as well. And I mean, there's no real sort of defending. <laughs> there you movie. go. See, if, you said if it, it works for you. It works for you. I mean. I think my biggest problem with it is that it takes about an hour to get going. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of indulgent stuff. Like, like the scene with the lions goes on for bloody ages. And you're just like, yeah, that's the point where they're trim this three. right there. Um, I love like David Niven's multiple costume changes at his home. I love the fact that if he won't come back, so they just blow his house up. <laughs> yeah. And he seems fine with it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very episodic. And and you you basically said the reason there's there's how many writers there's how many directors this sh this movie went through so many changes 
it's it's Genesis is just so weird, uh, uh, you know, born out of the the legal wrangling of the rights to this movie. Yeah, because he, he wanted Fleming to team up Leon, didn't he? Um, yeah. To do it, but they just done Thunderball and had a bad experience working on that one, so they didn't want to team up with somebody again. So they decided to do it as a, I think apparently they offered Sean Connery or offered asked Sean Connery to do it. He said he'd do it for a million dollars. Mm-hmm. which sort of shows Connery's loyalty to Eon, but then Eon weren't really paying him the big bucks, so you can't overly blame him. But um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then I think he told him after the film had been made that it would have been cheaper to just pay him the million and done the film that way originally. <laughs> well, they they were, from what I understand, they were paying people left and right to basically do nothing. You know, uh, uh, having stars come in and just stay in a hotel and 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 for you know weeks on end to do to do nothing. The the amount of money that went to that more than the actual production of the film was. <laughs> was was outrageous um it's it's interesting because it began as a serious idea to do a serious production of it uh and and it just somehow morphed into this this comedy and it just got wilder and wilder uh as it went along because of the producer who just kept coming up with more and more things and then he also just did not ride herd on this he you know peter sellers was basically allowed to do what he wanted to do if he didn't like something he just wrote something or just came up with something you have all of these personalities big big personalities all in this one pot and it really bubbled bubbled over the the infamous um uh uh sort of feud i guess between peter sellers and orson wells yeah Doing this to the to the point where they didn't want to film scenes together at, <laughs> at all. The stuff had to be filmed separately. Uh, Peter Sellers basically ending his involvement in the film before all of his scenes were shot. Uh, there's the whole part where he uh, Vesper is kidnapped, and Sellers gets into his Formula One racer, and then the next thing you know, he's captured and he's in the dungeon, and Le Chiffre has him. And there's no explanation whatsoever how they went from this one scene to the and and only the only thing that can be guessed at is is that he just was gone before they could film all those scenes. And yeah. at that point, everybody just said, "Well, okay, well, whatever. No one's going to care at this point in the film." <laughs> yeah, because there seemed to be mixed reports of where either he walked off or they fired him. Um, yes, I, I yes, know that legend yes, has it that afterwards, several of the directors wrote to the producer and was like, "Look, we don't blame you for anything going on with this." But um, yeah. we'd happily work for you again, but we'll never work with that bastard Sellers again. <laughs> it's such a shame because I'm I'm such a Peter Sellers fan, but he's I guess from everything I understand, he was a real rat bastard. Yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's one of those things. The more I found out about him, the less I liked it. I mean, I still love like Pink Panther movies and all that sort of thing. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. he he was a genius at what he did. Indeed, but, uh, he was definitely a very troubled man. Yeah, in indeed, um, I really love him in this film. Uh, I, I, you know, I'll go so far as to say he's he's handsome. You know, in in yeah. this film, um, uh, the the character of Evelyn uh, Tremble is is a very fun one. Um, I love the line where uh, somebody says, "Evelyn, isn't that a, a girl's name?" And he says, "No, it's mine." Yeah. <laughs> um. 
I, I pretty much love everybody. I'm not even a Woody Allen fan for, for that matter, but I enjoy his, his part in, in this. It has some of the most beautiful actresses in the world yeah. in, in this film. I mean, in, you know, even setting Ursula Andress and, and uh, uh, Dahlia Lavia side, there's my favorite, Joanna Pet. Did you say Pettit or... Uh, yeah, I think I said Pettit, but I wasn't 100% sure on the pronunciation. So I was... I'm pretty sure that that's how... Uh, she is is one of my most favorites in this film. I had such a crush on her yeah. after I saw this film. And I just love her role in this. And she's so witty and and sparkling and 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 everything even even with the very very odd moment between her and her father when she <laughs> says you know if you weren't my dad i could fancy you <laughs> it's it like, was like reverse trump wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> like um, like what um but i absolutely hate it when she comes in in the later segment and she's gotten her hair cut yeah and I, I read about that in the book, and I think it's, I'm trying to remember, I think it's that she, I can't, there's some story behind that, that she, the actress went ahead and had her hair cut because she didn't, either didn't know she had more filming to do, or there's some kind of story behind why that is, um, but they were just jettisoning things left and right. Uh, David Niven comes in after the whole Scotland sequence and basically says to Money Penny, "If you hear me stuttering again, you know, yeah. tell me to knock it off or, or whatever." Say, I don't. Have I know, there's no anymore. time for that. I think he <laughs> says. Um, um, and and uh, as far as the actresses go, Barbara Boucher is as yeah. Money Penny is just so gorgeous in, in this film. It's a wonderful, wonderful cast. And while some people might say that they're just their talents are wasted here, I I would disagree with them because they're just their charisma and charm to me just just jump right off the screen yeah it's one of those films that you look at given the end result you're like what did they have on you that you signed up for this i think a lot of them <laughs> thought they were doing a straight film when they signed up but then found yeah. out when they got there um i mean it's very much a who's who of either people that were in bond films or went on to be in bond films yeah um, right <laughs> but alexandra bastido who was Sharon mccready in the champions which is a series i love and i love her in that as well um as one of the fake daughters of M. um but yeah, it's just, it's such a who's who. And like you say, an amazing cast. Mm-hmm. And you can see where the money was spent on this as well, because I think it had a budget of six million and it doubled to 12. Yeah. Just because they well, were very much of the, throw some money at that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, and it also looks great too. It, yeah. it, it looks like a lavish production. Um, uh, and, you know, I mean, I don't necessarily recognize direction very much, but I don't think it's very schizophrenic as far as when it switches from to, to the four segments, you you know, of the film. Other the story, yes, not necessarily yeah. like the direct the cinematography or. Yeah, the I mean, I I am a Woody Allen fan. You can very much spot the Woody Allen writing in it. It's not necessarily okay. his best writing, but certainly of that early Woody Allen period as well. I imagine he wrote the whole thing where he's put up in front of the firing squad. Listen, you can't shoot me. I, I, uh, I, uh, I have a very low threshold of death. Uh, my, my doctor says I can't have bullets enter my body at any time. I, I, uh, 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 oh, oh. What if I said I was pregnant? Oh, uh, oh. Uh, 
Uh, could I have a last cigarette? I, I, I'm gonna give it up any day now. I... Mm. Oh, thank you. Um, oh, uh... Listos! Yeah, you realize this means an angry letter to the Times. Apuntar! Fuego! So long, suckers! Apunto! Fuego! That's one of my most favorite lines from the film uh the uh, my doctor said that uh bullets cannot enter my body yeah. at any time i would have death would it help if i said i was pregnant yeah. <laughs> and just the gag of him climbing over the wall and jumping down in front of another fire right to, yeah. so long suckers <laughs> um uh see now i i i, I did not rewatch it to, sit, to to record this but i think maybe i uh, like later today i need to re rewatch it again <laughs> It's surprising how many bits in, in this that sort of are played again in Official Leon ones, either directly or indirectly. I mean, you've got an exploding milk flow, which later in the Laven Daylights is exploding milk bottles. Mm -hmm. um, they kill Bond. Bond has a daughter, which obviously goes on to happen in No Time to Die. It's actually amazing how many elements of the Daniel Craig era would seem to be taken as plot points from Bond spoofs. Yeah. You've got him being related to Blofeld, which was right out of Austin Powers. They, obviously, they kill M in this. They kill M in a Daniel Craig. And from near as near as I can tell, most of his uh, Casino Royale was lifted from this film as well. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful if we found out that all of these, you know, people working in the industry today are all have all been inspired in one way or another by by this film? I, I still I have never heard that, but I I, I would love to hear that. Oh, I, I like the idea that they're sitting around thinking like, how can we legitimize this? Like, you know, <laughs> right, right. Bring it into official canon, kind of thing. <laughs> much as i i've always said about the star wars prequels that one day they will receive their you know their renaissance uh that it'll all and actually it's funny because it is actually starting to happen yeah. now Where, whereas hayden christensen was once a very reviled person and now suddenly he's like the second coming yeah you, you know uh i i have a i i have a hope and wish and, and a feeling that 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 may happen with this with this film one day that it will be a little more embraced you know by by people and and celebrated for them actually finishing this movie and put, put, yeah again and you're amazed there was a finished thing at the end of it and yeah. like say particularly at the end like the sets in dr noah's base are stunning yeah. proper avengers level surrealism and Oh, I just, oh, yeah, I just, I just love the, the psychedelic feel yeah. of it. This, this is my sweet spot for, for pop culture right here. Um, I'm the biggest uh, Batman 1966 fan ever. Yeah. And I've actually put out books uh, on it. So, you know, uh, uh, Batman, the Beatles and Bond that, you know, that, that yeah. describes me to a T my, my dad uh, is a huge James Bond fan. Uh, he began reading the books not long before I, um, not long before I was born. Uh, he, you know, knowing him, he was probably inspired by the fact that uh, JFK was reportedly uh, an Ian Fleming Bond yeah. fan that he said he loved the novels. So, um, so I mean, I grew up into the middle uh, of of 
a Bond fan's home and had been watching the films when they were on TV. And, and then this came along, but, but much like how I can, I can compartmentalize the 66 Batman with an earlier Batman and the much later Batman. It's the same with this. I never had any trouble with watching this and it, them running around saying James Bond, James Bond, 007. And I never yeah. had any trouble, you know, relegating it to its own spot and, and not worrying about, well, this isn't a Sean Connery James Bond or this isn't a Roger Moore James Bond. No, That's it's it. no, it's not. <laughs> It's funny you mentioned Batman 66, because I made a note that M looks like the Mad Hatter from Batman 66. Yeah, yes, he does. David Wayne. Yeah, he's yes. got that. <laughs> yes. He's got that. Yeah. Um, I quite like the little, not-so-subtle seeming swipes at Sean Connery and the Eon Bonds, where David Niven's talking about the bloke they gave his name and number two. Yeah. yeah. Girl getting him killed, yeah. relying on gadgets, all that sort of thing. Yeah, what is he? He says it's because the names become synonymous with sex maniac i think he says you know uh uh, so, uh yeah they, the one the one assistant says um i can't it's like bashed in a blazing bordello <laughs> and he go, he's going through all the uh garroted in a geisha house <laughs> i you know there's so many actors in in this film that i i wouldn't know their name but you just it's the it's their faces that they're you see them in so many other different films of of the time all these different people the the guy that runs um uh the well he's kind of like q um like i recognized him um the um the guy that drives the cab for mata bond yeah all these different guys and and gals uh and and i love that too because i love it when i see them in another movie and i say oh wait a minute he played the head of the british forces in the scene where they're bidding on the photograph you know i know this guy yeah growing up for me bernard cribbins was always the guy in the one um peter cushion doctor who film oh okay um, which i have in, yet to watch <laughs> he's in carry on dick as well i think but um and then obviously okay. he's in later doctor who um, the David Tennant era, he's Catherine Tate's character's grandfather. Okay, great. Um, but yeah, um, I loved the bits. <laughs> I loved the idea of him taking a cab to Berlin. It's like, east or west? Like, west? He's like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of driving from London and just <laughs> being aggressive at people for driving on the right side of the road in Germany and then him getting out and asking the guy if there's a place to get decent fish and chips. <laughs> the, the, the music is so wonderful at that moment because it's it has the uh, it shows the east side of the, the wall and it has this like balalaika you know slowly playing and then it crosses over to the west side and it's it's you know this real steamy sultry you know jazzy type of and it's just you know a hedonistic heaven on the other side of the wall just, and then I and then I love it because they blow up. It blows a hole in the wall when they're leaving, so all the people from the east quickly <laughs> run over to the west. <laughs> I like that There's he's got so a Union Jack on the back of his thing once he <laughs> reveals himself to be. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Peter Lorre, Bela Lugosi. I'm thinking of the the guy that's uh, almost like Artie Johnson that uh, is the 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 little butler guy in the in the. Um, Matahari school. <laughs> oh, and oh, then um, Ronnie Corbett. 
Yeah, and that woman, the headmistress, is um, is, she's in Hard Day's Night. If I'm, am am I? I think so. Yeah, she was in a couple episodes of the Avengers as well. Again, she's one of those people that was like, "Oh, you're in that and that and that." Yeah, exactly. I think she's the one that stops John Lennon in the stairwell, and they do that fantastic little talk about, "Are you him?" or "I might be," and and that whole thing. I think it's. I think that's her. Uh, I think you're right. Again, it's been a while since I've seen Hard Day's Night. Again, my eldest is a massive Beatles fan, so we had it on the other week, and I caught like the end of it again. And the Beatles are represented in, in Casino Royale. It's the very first shot. Seen, yeah, yeah Les, Les Beatles. <laughs> in some ways, it's quite apt. This film opens in a urinal, and then <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's almost fitted. Um, I do like Peter Sellers' thing with the Mathis. One thing that's always troubled me is you're a French inspector, but you've got a Scottish over. <laughs> yeah, it's always bothered me too. <laughs> I I love it. You can even just say the lines from it, and and I'm laughing, you know, because it it, it it's a shame. It, if people could divorce themselves from it being a a James Bond film, and I'm doing air quotes. That, then I think that they could they could be amused by it, yeah. you know. And if nothing else, that music can carry you along through the entire film. Yeah, I mean that theme tune's amazing, and then the lyrics it's got on it at the end as well. Oh, <laughs> just... and you know the sad thing, Stuart, is that I, I hate this. That is not on the the soundtrack album. Oh, that's unfortunate. I used my to have dad, the soundtrack my, album. I don't know what happened to it because I've got all my Bond things, but it's the only thing that's missing. I really need to rebuy it. <laughs> I inherited the album. In fact, pretty early on, I think my because I like I'd go over to my dad's and I'd say, "Will you play the Casino Royale album?" And I think he finally just threw up his hands and said, "Here, just take it." <laughs> and and yeah, the um, the crazy uh, lyrics, very poorly sung at the end of the film. That is not on the. I think there's recently there was a, a a disc reissue of it, but that it has more. Yeah, it was a 50th anniversary edition. Wasn't yeah, it? and I don't have that because it's very expensive. I I wish I did, but I I I haven't broken down it and bought that yet. But if I remember correctly, the situation with those lyrics at the end with the uh, with the Herb Alpert Tijuana Brass theme is similar to the situation with the theme to to classic star trek is that is that the theme was written and then gene roddenberry wanted uh money from it so he wrote some lyrics so that he would get a cut of it and they never of course use the the lyrics in that but there's some i think if i'm not mistaken there's a similar situation that those lyrics were cobbled together and you can tell because they're yeah. very cobbled together. But I, but you know what, again, it's just, it's just part of the charm for me. I, uh, uh, that, I don't know, remember who the guy is that's singing in the, and it's, you can, it's almost like that guy was just making up the words as he was recording. Yeah. Cause it's almost as mashed together as the film itself. Yeah. In many ways it's arguably the most fit, fit in Bond song. I'd argue it's got, you know, a better soundtrack than the other unofficial Bond film as well. <laughs> there, there is the there is the part of it that is on the soundtrack with, and it might be the same guy singing. There's another where it's um, James Bond playing at Casino Royale. He won a lot of money at a gal at Casino Royale. 
Yeah. He's not really such a wonderful spy, but winning lots of money on a gal, he's a fabulous guy. <laughs> that is actually on the soundtrack album, but the very end where he's trying to sing along to <laughs> the main theme is is not on it. And I, I, I'm sure it's probably on that 50th anniversary disc. Yeah, I, I need to look into that. It's again, rewatching the film, I've forgotten how much I do love the soundtrack to this film. It's a wonderful bits of music in it but it, it really is really really is um I, I love that there's a little dick tracy nod in this when they're talking about the wristwatch yeah yeah got it from one of the american comic strips yeah because <laughs> again massive dick tracy fan so i love that okay um, great hey have you ever seen the uh the uh, uh william dozier produced dick tracy pilot uh, uh from uh, 66 67 no i haven't okay um William Dozier, the producer of the Batman 66 TV series, tried a couple of other pilots uh, at the time. Uh, Batman was only one of a group of characters yeah. that were under consideration, and one of them was Dick Tracy. And they actually made a full, uh, it's at least a half hour if it's not longer, a full pilot. And it's and it's honestly not bad at all. I, I would recommend that you... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's on it's on YouTube. I think I watched it on YouTube. They also made a 20 minute promo film for Wonder Woman, which unfortunately was played for comedy. Yeah, and that is also on YouTube. And I think there's there he might have done a, one other one. And then of course Green Hornet was in that group of characters, and then yeah. they actually made an entire season of the show. But the the Dick Tracy one is actually not bad at all, and ah, uh, I think it's uh, I think uh, Victor Bono is the bad guy in it, King okay. Tut himself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, if you're a Dick Tracy fan, I, I would I would recommend that you seek that out. And, and yeah, I could it. see that. I'm familiar like 66, that William Dozer had a go at it, but because I've seen the old serials, which are yeah. Um, I've oh, seen the animated series that, that has not aged well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, there's, there's some questionable racial characters in that um, sure. cartoon. I mean, I've, it sure. has a sort of nostalgic charm for me because when the Warren Beatty movie came out, they showed that on one of the cartoon channels over here. Is that right? Okay. Watching that every morning again, early 90s, so that stuff was still flying. But I bought the DVDs and then went back to it and I was like, ooh, this isn't cool yeah. anymore. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't cool you know, then, but... <laughs> I actually see some similarities between Casino Royale 67 and the, the Warren Beatty, Dick Tracy film in the in the sense of you don't necessarily watch that Dick Tracy film for the story, but you do watch it for the visuals yeah. and the colors and maybe even the music. Yeah. But otherwise, otherwise it's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, again, I'm a big fan of that film. That was one I got a lot of stick for, for really liking, because, again, everybody sort of perceived it as a box office bomb and a I, dud at I the think time. That that's that's going to have its day, too. Yeah. I, I really do believe that that's going to, that things will come around and then that's going to, you know, be looked at um, uh, for, for its merits, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think it's sort of started with that and the Rocketeer as well seem to be more people are coming out of the woodwork. now. I think the internet brought a lot of people together. It's one of the good things of the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, when, when the cult of Casino Royale finally <laughs> rises up, 
<laughs> I, I'm there. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, this film, it's bad, but it is enjoyable. There's funny moments in it. And like I say, the visuals are stunning. It certainly embraces that 60s. The Peter Sellers torture sequence is wonderfully psychotic and psychedelic. <laughs> and isn't it? I love twisted. how you can actually see the... Uh... The the fan that from that's actually in that what's used in the book to do the actual torturing in the yeah. in the actual Ian Fleming novel it is actually there although it's the hole and the hole in the chair is there yeah. <laughs> the two never actually co- co- come together there's um there's a whole thing about that whole torture sequence and the the torture of the mind and all of that. And you can see that they, there were there were so many different things filmed for that movie that end up in just little tiny bits here and there, but were actually supposed to be wider sequences. And one of them, if I'm not mistaken, is the when Le Chiffre says it's it's a uh, uh, it's a beauty it's a beauty contest, Mister Bond. You've got to pick the winner. I think when they it, and it looks like an old movie when the girls come down the staircase. I think that was supposed to have been like a bigger sequence, right? And then the the um, the Scottish pipe band that comes in was a later addition. It was supposed to be that they were riding elephants or something like that, and Peter Sellers didn't want to do it, so he came up with the the scottish band that comes in and i i absolutely adore and love the the peter o'toole cameo and later supposedly o'toole said that he really regretted doing that and and that he wished it did not make it into the finished film i love that moment i i'm i'm glad it is in there yeah i do as well i think it's a wonderful little moment i mean there were a lot meant allegedly meant to be a lot of cameos that either were filmed and then cut or just didn't quite come together i think they wanted like sinatra and streisand and all those people in it yeah, yeah. Um, well darth vader yeah uh, Dave Cowes himself uh if i think he did actually the sequence was actually filmed where it was something to do with winnie the pooh and they uh, had I, an out- they had a costume that was called Super Poo, and they asked Dave Prowse to do it, and he was very tickled and 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 really happy to do it because he thought it would be a really great opportunity for him. But then it's just totally not in the film. Yeah, because he's in it as the Frankenstein, of... isn't he? That's Dave Prowse. Uh, I read. You know what? Yeah, I think that's right. He shows on the way to the office. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, there's almost in an entirely another movie uh, uh, that hit the the cutting room floor yeah i i wish that footage and nobody cares enough anywhere to release that footage but but um in the in the back of that book that i was talking about the making of casino royale there's an entire s- section of the book that is deleted scenes uh that that it talks about and there's actually uh, still photography evidence of several uh, cut scenes from the film and then then they also suppose that there were other sequences by by the the obvious gaps in it and one of them being that where um, he jumps in the formula one and then the next thing he's he's captured yeah so they, they figured that there you know there might have been a script where that actually was there whether or not it was filmed 
probably not. You know, that is, that's right, because that was after Sellers left. Yeah, because I, I don't think that was filmed, because I, again, imagine that would be as it is in the book and the Daniel Craig version where yeah. something causes him to crash and that's how he gets right. captured kind of thing. Yeah. But um, Yeah, exactly right. Because um, I think when he first goes to Vesta uh, Lynn's apartment, and buzzes up and she's getting rid of that body. I think there was more yep. to that. I think that's it is. Yep. Is Ian Hendry under the sheet? Is he yep. meant to be the body? And that's yep. pretty much his cam all that's left of his cameo in the film. And yeah, that's actually listed in, in the book as, yeah. as, a, as a missing sequence. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I think well, to be honest, if this film had a re-edit and was re-released, if it was tightened up a little bit, I think it would be seen in a much oh, can you make that happen? I honestly <laughs> I, Do you have I, that? I wish I could. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, that that would you know the, I mean, it, to call it the director's cut, you'd have to you know it'd be like the four directors. <laughs> cut. I, again, there's this small handful of people on the earth that would love to see that happen, but it's just not enough for the studio to do anything. I'm sure it's all you know. I'm sure there's footage sitting in a vault somewhere of this uh and and there's restraining orders from all of the estates of all the people i imagine all the people you'd have to pay royalties to and yeah. the states and all that stuff yes. it'd be an, again it probably costs more to but i think Indeed. even if they just trimmed what existed tightened it up a little bit the yeah. film would potentially flow better and possibly be wider received some of the other life. lost some of the other lost sequences can be seen in the the uh the opening credits uh where the letters there's little yeah. moving pictures with inside the letters and but people pretty much looked, reveal everybody that dies <laughs> yeah yeah and, and people have looked closely at that and some of them i guess are some of the you know just like three seconds from the missing sequences uh are uh, some of the missing sequences yeah. but you can see them very briefly in in that in the animated beginning i I do love those opening credits yeah i I love the style of it it's it's done really nicely and fits really nicely with the music as well yeah and and that all echoes uh what's new pussycat yeah yeah because even the little reference to what's new pussycat when she goes to go down the sewer isn't it no not that way (laughs) oh man i'm falling in love with this movie all over again (laughs) it is I could say it's such. It is an interesting experiment. It is such an odd curio. Um, mm-hmm. I love the little bits like the floor raising up when Woody Allen's giving his speech, and there's a little <laughs> harmony band, and then it just goes back down again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I know as the top broad. <laughs> as, as a younger, impressionable person, I would find it very sexy. Her strapped to the big oh, chair with just the yeah that. That caused I mean, that, that's, that's designed very much for a... As a 12-year-old, like, yeah. yes. Yeah. 12, 13-year-old boy. <laughs> yeah. And we'll run amok together. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole little thing of dropping the uh, tablet into his champagne. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, I, of, of the entire movie, what I... the Like, if I had any part that I don't care overly much for, it's it's the it's the big fight at the end. It goes a bit blazing saddles, Doctor Strange love, doesn't it? It's <laughs> yeah, it, it, but it's at that point, it's it's like it's it's in a movie that's literally 
built on excess that is an excess of excess yeah and and yeah i mean the indians parachute <laughs> i you know george rath walking around you know uh and uh flipping his coin and and uh uh what's what's belmondo's first name uh jean jean paul belmondo comes in <laughs> And and just I don't uh, the seal like it, at yeah. that point it's just like okay okay let's just get the, the ape just, in the table so... with the Trump wig on is yeah, right, right yeah um uh it's yeah it, at that point it's just it's just like way too much and you know okay just get it and then everybody dies yeah. <laughs> spoiler alert everybody dies because it blows up so it is essentially the Doctor Strange love ending again isn't it it's... yeah. Yep. Um, there's a little bit in it I love say, when the French guy comes in to let him know that the French have arrived and he has to re- look through the little translation <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then right. when he hurts his hand he's like what was that and then he goes, and he goes to swear and it cuts off yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the weird stuff like Orson Welles doing magic and Oh I my think, god, I, he insisted that, on I love that sequence. I know I keep saying that, but you're reminding me of all the, the yeah. I don't know what it is about that. And and Peter Sellers' reaction, he's like, that's great. Oh, stupendous now. And now can we get down to playing you know Baccarat? <laughs> yeah. Is oh, he goes, is that it? Is that it? Is that everything? <laughs> well that, that that's the end. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sette à la banque. It's amazing, he never loses. Cinq à la banque, la banque gagne. What about one for the road? Looks as though luck isn't on your side of the road tonight, old man. She has a habit of moving around. And we might as well double the bank again. Suppose I were to treble it. <laughs> treble it? And they chips? Oh, uh... I think my credit's good. Bond credit good. The bank now stands at 50 million francs. Very well. Goodbye, Mr. Bond. It's been nice knowing you. I do like that stuff. It's very close to the book in a ridiculous way. The Absolutely, game yeah. pretty much plays out. He loses two, wins the third. Um, yep. Vesper gets kidnapped. The car chase that doesn't happen. The torture scene. Oh yeah, it, yeah. it's all I, there. It's just there. There's some very small nuggets of of drama or seriousness, yeah. whatever you want to call it, scattered. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Don't let anybody ever say that that it doesn't have anything to do with the book because it's not true there is how many you just said them how many different elements that they <laughs> pretty much dilutes it down and, even to Vesper betraying him it dilutes those that core bit of the book down to about five minutes of film <laughs> <laughs> right right because right. otherwise there's very little i mean that's why they couldn't put based on the book by i believe they re-released the book or the film with like you know they only have one, even on the front of the book, it said, have you seen the new version of Casino Royale? Apparently, they've only got one thing in common. They're both spectacular. Yeah, I actually have a copy of that paperback with, awesome. with the movie cover. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's that's a bold thing to be kind of like, the book of the film has nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, 
I mean, it would have been interesting to see a serious take on Casino Royale at the time. I know you had the is it 54 or 57, the oh, what was the TV series called that it was part of? It was like Teddy oh, Blaze, wasn't it? Um, I got my book right here. It's uh, it's um, and you know, I have never seen that. It's on the recent Blu ray they released because I rebought the Blu ray yesterday. Oh, okay, I saw it because they finally put it on there, and there's also a five part making of documentary on it as well. It's called. It was called Climax. Climax that's it. Yeah, and um, uh, uh, Barry Nelson. Yeah, he, he of the shining fame. Um, yeah, Jimmy and Bond. Peter Laurie was Le Chiff. Very interesting, huh? It's it's an interesting watch. Again, it's another sort of Bond history curio. So I think they say in the Everything Worth documentary that he got so fed up of not being able to sell the rights that he just sold the rights to Casino Royale. From to do the TV thing, and they made Bond CIA. They changed Felix Leiter to be in English. Yeah, they just swapped him. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Fleming accepted a thousand dollars for the television rights, and yeah, and then and it was a fifty-minute presentation, and it was transmitted live from CBS Studios in in Los Angeles. Yeah, nineteen fifty-four, October nineteen fifty-four. Yeah, which. It's insane to think that that could have been the only screen bond we got as well. <laughs> it's true. Very true. Had Dr. No not happened, I think that was all a fine thing of elements coming together to make that happen. Um, so what, what we have is three different versions, movies of Casino Royale, and yeah. each one of them very different. I mean, there's something for everyone. <laughs> you, <Yeah>. can, <laughs> you know, depending upon what you want. You know, or what mood you're in, you've got three different, very different Casino Royales. Because <laughs> it always cracked me up when they um, did the Daniel Craig one. It was like they're remaking Casino Royale with Daniel Craig. It's like, I don't think you can call this a remake. <laughs> like Readaptation at a push. But... <laughs> like a we're using remake, remake very fast and loose here. Um, yeah, I'm surprised anybody would want to acknowledge the 67 by saying yeah. it could be remaking. <laughs> That's it. I think because it's that and never say never again have always been the footnote. It would have been fascinating to see Connery in this as well, had that gone ahead. Yeah. I mean I, what, I, what that would I have totally, done for yeah. the I don't know films. what they would I don't know what they would have done about the torture sequence. That would have been very interesting. Um I'm I'm so glad that they retained so much in the Daniel Craig one. Yeah. I, I I remember watching it thinking they are never going to say the famous, you know, last line uh the the bitch is dead. I said yeah. we're not going to do it. They're just not going to do it. And then there then there it is. And you know, I remember being amazed uh at the time that it's made, you know, that that they bothered to keep that in there yeah my only regret with that was they didn't end the film like they end the book with it no it very true yes very very but true. I, I can also see why you'd want to sort of give it a bit more of an upbeat yeah. bond is here kind of ending with the that. novel the novel is such a atypical spy novel i mean yeah. there's so yeah. much more about him personally than than the action you know or, or the spy stuff that that i've heard how many people say oh oh i wanted to read the james bond books i started at the beginning and i couldn't get through casino royale 
So I never, you know, never, and it's like, no, 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 you, you know, you keep going, you got to go through that. It's, it's very important because it sets, you know, everything down, you know, uh, it really, you know, starts him off as a three dimensional character, but yeah, yeah that's, it, it, well, and then like the movie, I started watching the 67 Casino Royale, I couldn't get through it. Like, no, keep going. I know it, yeah, it feels like a four hour movie, but just keep going. Just, you know. It does. You're like, I've got to be like halfway through it. I was like, no, we're still 20 minutes in. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, right, right. No, I, I've always found with the Bond books, there's a couple I struggled with. So I've just gone to the audio books because there's some very good versions of the audio books. They did some a few years ago that were really good. Uh, people like Jason right. Isaacs, David Tennant, Rosamund Pike. Wow. those will be reading them and they're really good so if you do struggle with the books i recommend the audio books and then go back and read the books and of course you're referring to the spy who loved me <laughs> the, yeah the spy who loved me is a difficult book <laughs> i it's funny i just recently reread all the flemings uh so that's maybe like the third time through yeah all of them for for me and and I remembered that I actually liked The Spy Who Loved Me, and, and I liked it just as much when I read it again just recently and had kind of a big discussion on Facebook with other friends of mine who are big Bond fans. And their, the consensus was between all of them was that almost none of them liked it. And, and it was like, maybe it's just me that I like all the weird Bond stuff that nobody else likes. No, like I, quite, I must admit, I quite like the book. It's a nice sort of... Okay, good in some ways a bit like the Daniel Craig Casino Royale, it's the most unbond book of the Bond books, a bit like Casino Royale is the most unbond film of the uh, yeah. officially on Bond films. Um, but no, I I quite like it. Um, I can see why people don't like it. I know Fleming wasn't a fan. I know when he sold the rights to that one, he was like, you can have the rights, but you just can't make it as the book. Yeah, It's like, create your own thing with it. And they got Christopher Wood to rewrite a different version of novelization of the film and put that out instead of just slapping Roger Moore on the cover of Spy Who Loved Me. <laughs> like like you, I can totally see why other people don't like it. It's the same with the Casino Royale 67. I totally accept and can understand and see why people don't like that film. You know, I totally get that. Um, the Spy Who Loved Me, the book, is, is an experiment. I give him credit for for trying it even and and i think that you know that he's so fleshed out our female protagonist uh in that you know we basically know her entire life story there and then you bring bond into it um, what's well, it because you look at how he treats female characters in the books i know we're diverging off the film but you look at how he generally treats female characters in the film they are very much objects for bond he seems to have a disdain for so for yes. him to then write one from a female point of view Yep. And you know, it possibly fails a feminist te feminist test kind of thing, but mm -hmm. it, it's an interesting sort of way to approach telling a Bond story because I mean Bond's not in it till the last few chapters. Yep, yep, um, yep. totally agree. But it's a very nice, it's a nice tense book, it's almost a horror book. Like the stuff she goes through. Yeah, that's a wow. That's a really good way of, of of looking at it. Is there's a lot of tension, uh, and uh, and yeah, that that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah, because I mean that's the audiobook that Rosamund Pike reads as well. Perfect mm -hmm. choice for it. Yeah, again, I I think if they got a man to read it, it would have. 
Oh yeah, there's nothing worse than listening to an audio book and then a guy doing a woman's voice. Yeah, no, no, no. And the voice. No, it's but but yeah. I mean, sort of back onto this. It's I've been diverted off. I mean, again, I think like you said before, you sort of have to separate what you've come to expect from a Bond film. I'd argue that Austin Powers probably owes more to this film than it does the actual Bond films. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, And I've never heard uh, any of the people involved with Austin Powers citing, you know, this film. It makes me wonder if they ever have at all. But, you know, I would tell people if you if you generally like British comedy films uh, of this era, there's, you know, just kind of forget this, the the James Bond connection to it. Um, uh, And I agree that that the making of it would probably make a very fun movie, you know, maybe even a very dramatic movie. Uh, I'd really like to see that. Um, um, And then if you do watch this movie and you don't run screaming to the hills, start to look into the history of it. And maybe that will make it an even more fascinating tapestry. And then if failing all of that, just buy the soundtrack and (laughs) you'll, you'll be okay. I say, even if you watch it as a curio and then, you know, look into yeah. the history of it, you kind of need to yeah. see the film to understand it, to have a frame of reference for going back and reading all the stuff and yeah. why Orson Wells and Peter Sellers allegedly fell out. And then you can yeah. run over the hill and join the convent. <laughs> I do I understand thing, that are, are you sure you're dying? <laughs> oh, boy. I, I understand that reference. Um, Totally agree. The weird That's little that. things as well, like the stuffed tiger when his tongue comes out. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> it pays no reference later on. I yeah. Well, well, you said the Frankenstein monster. I yeah. mean, again, like why? <laughs> Don't ask why. Just watch it. Just the weird UFO as well. Like <laughs> yeah. the day the Earth stood still, kind of ramp comes down and the horse rides up into it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which again, that's very. Austin Powers. Again, I'd argue a lot of the visuals from Austin Powers seem to owe more to this. The sets in Austin Powers seem a lot like Dr. Noah's base. And... There you go. If if you're, if you're if there's anybody out there that likes the Austin Power movies and you haven't watched this, watch this. Yeah. And, and may, maybe that you'll see the, the connection there and you, you know. There's lots of weird little bit. I love that you've got a QT cup decades before you had the Q mug in um, the Daniel Craig era. Mm-hmm. Um, the weird Peter Sellers dressing up as different. You know, I was watching it. I was like, he dressed yeah. as Toulouse and something else as well. And it's like it was the Revenge of the Pink Panther. <laughs> he yeah. comes out dressed yeah. as Toulouse. <laughs> and that's funny. That's one of the little serious moments in the film where he gets mad and he says, "You know, I don't mind. I didn't mind this little time we spent together, and I don't mind this. But if there's one thing that I do mind, it's 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 you know making fun of my book or yeah. or, or back or what. And and that's just a, a a nice little serious moment in the middle of that of that whole thing. Because it's um, such a strange scene. He spends a good chunk of it dressed as Hitler. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, Toulouse Lautrec and Hitler. Yeah, I, 
Because again, it's not that far away from yeah. World War Two. <laughs> yeah, right. It's closer right. to that I, than we are to the film. Um, I I don't know. It was the '60s. You just you know, it was it was the psychedelic Sergeant Pepper's era. And, and I've been meaning to say that this whole time. It is a sign of its time. Yeah. You know, it is such a a portrait of that one particular bubble of time. Uh, where anything goes and and psychedelia and 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 it all is it's sixties to excess, isn't it? It's... Yes, again, yes, it's it's an excess of sixties. That's a, that's another good way to put it. I do love the shot where he's gone into Vespalin's apartment and it's her and him walking, and it's the fish tank in the foreground and them in the background. That's a lovely shot. I love that's when they're the sofa it, it, it goes down, mm-hmm. and he's like. What do your neighbours think about you living here? What do you get on your neighbours or whatever that line is? It's such yeah. a lovely little Peter Sellers moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a, there's another thing. If you're a Peter Sellers fan and you've never seen this movie, you should watch this movie. Yeah. If you're a Woody Allen fan and you've never seen this movie, you should watch this movie. Well, yeah, because without this movie, I don't think we'd have had Woody Allen films, whether you deem that as a good thing or a bad thing. Because um, I know he wrote What's Up Tiger Lily while he was doing this, and I think he said that the excess he saw on this film was what made him decide he wanted to start directing movies. I was just looking at that part again in the book where I'm trying to remember that it's uh, Feldman, the the basically the yeah. guy who made this, said like he liked Woody Allen, and he said something to the effect of Woody Allen really needs to have a movie or or something to to that uh you know Shirley MacLaine was supposed to be in this movie yeah she was one of the people that they put up at a hotel and then she ultimately didn't do the movie so that was just <laughs> another expense we yeah, uh, think Woody Allen got so fed up that he just left the set in his costume and never came back right just went home in his yeah. costume because i think he said he was in like a really luxurious london hotel for about eight days just doing nothing you couldn't believe how much money they were spending to have people just do nothing yeah because i think they wanted joan collins as well but she turned a part down that was the other one right right it's it's insane what they were throwing at this film (laughs) It, it 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 really is yeah, I love the chapter two of this of this book is called Development Hell. Yeah. <laughs> and that 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 pretty much describes it. Yeah. Uh, I say development hell, production hell, <laughs> post production. I can't imagine trying to edit this movie. N- no, I can't imagine either. You know, you they it was a lot of drinking going on, I'm sure. Yeah. Roger Moore, it's as it appears that Feldman was already thinking along the lines of multiple bonds for Casino Royale. As during June 64, contact was also established with well-known actor Roger Moore regarding the role of 007. So you, you, can, only, you can imagine that that he might have ended up in this thing yeah. too, as I one of the that's, that's one thing we didn't talk about. It was that David Niven was Ian Fleming's choice to play James Bond. Yeah. Yeah, the point where he was so put out when they cast Sean Connery that... Yeah, and then it happened, but in a very strange way. That's it. It's, it's such a bizarre thing. And he's... I mean, he's David Niven, so... Um, Isn't and, he always David Niven in pretty much every... Yeah, and this is probably does. where the uh, conspiracy theory that Bond is a name and a number that's handed down to different people, and that's why he looks yeah. different. Yeah, and that's, is, a, and that's a fun uh, idea at the core of this It's film. a fun idea. It doesn't hold up to <laughs> so, scrutiny. 
I, I imagine that they might even go in, in a direction like that with the Bond films now because of the events at the end of the last Bond film is is maybe if they keep it in the same in that same universe that that somebody else is given the name yeah i can see them either slipping back into that loose continuity of connery to brosnan or just starting a new fresh continuity again yeah, um, yeah that which is probably what it'll end up being i think possibly the daniel craig's one will exist as their own sort of little bubble if we even get another one they don't seem to be in any great rush at the <laughs> yeah that's true it's, which isn't necessarily a bad thing to be honest yeah oh we'll see that here then there's an opportunity here for them to recut this film and exactly. so there'll be some bond film in the theater recut this film and recut never say never again so it's got the bond elements in it yeah like the gun <laughs> yeah. barrel and the title mm-hmm. music and all that sort of thing yep <laughs> i think never say never again a benefit just from a couple of tweaks as well i think mm-hmm. there's a magic to the on films that is missing whether it's in a spoof version or never say never again yeah. they just it's more than just having the bond license kind of thing yeah um i think because it's so synonymous with them as well but i think they've perfected that formula and perfected it quite quickly yeah um obviously from russia with love is very different to from to know and then goldfinger they sort of sure. found yeah. the formula and laid the first things down and then by thunderball yeah they were off and running and you know they tweaked it every so often as right. you need to with anything like that um right. i mean the excess in this film is in some ways no different to some of the stuff they threw in the roger moore ones no you're you're they just grounded it a little bit more when you say that yeah i i mean you people expect that now from a, a james bond film so there there's another reason yeah. not to shut this film it has just much just as much excess as any of them just in a slightly different way yeah, I can't imagine there's many Bond fans who haven't looked at it. Like, say, even as just a curio or to complete the collection kind of thing. Um, yeah. I, I can see why they don't embrace it or mention it in documentaries and the like, but it's certainly missing from the Eon documentary, the Everything or Nothing that came out, the mm-hmm. 50th anniversary. Um, it's a shame because, like we say, it is. production value in places is spot on. Mm-hmm. And it's genuinely funny comedy in places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just in a mishmash of lots of different people coming up with sketches, and yep, it feels a little bit like you know, somebody handed him five pages, and then somebody else. a bit like at school when you pass that drawing around, and somebody draw the head, and then somebody else <laughs> draw the body. And... Wait a minute, that but that is exactly what yeah, it I know. Is. You just yeah, you really pegged that one. That's exactly what it is. I imagine it was like. Yeah, John Houston's quit the film now, so you're up. <laughs> yep, yep. What, what, what do you got? What do you got, and what can you do? <laughs> the writer hasn't shown up today. He was on set. <laughs> Billy Wilder did some of it. It's wild to me. Just again, the the names involved are 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 really amazing. Yeah, and like you were saying in the beginning, how much uncredited. I see. Because uh, I wonder if Billy Wilder didn't just do writing. I wonder if he did a couple of days directing before being like, "This is a shit show. I'm going." I, I, I wouldn't I be surprised if there were a couple of people who came in, did a couple of hours, and like, I cannot work like this. <laughs> they were just letting anybody. <laughs> yeah. I imagine hey, that probably was the case. Yeah, the charwoman wants to direct a scene. Is that okay? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the guy who brings our food has got an idea for this shot. He has a I can vision let him do for it. this sequence. <laughs>
He's a friend of Peter Sellers. <laughs> um, there's some lovely directed bits. The whole Casino Royale scene between Peter Sellers and the Sheaf is shot really well. Yep. I, I know you got the like the distraction of the magic and that, but you take that out, it's all really nicely done. Even the torture scene's really nicely done beyond the psychedelic what Peter Sellers is seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, some gorgeous bits. Um, awesome Wells is great. Because yeah. I kind of get the feeling that Orson Welles was in it for the money rather than... I think Peter Sellers recommended Welles for the part. Yeah. I'm guessing and that's before the book, they fell out. Because again, there's different stories as to why they fell out. Well, the, the, the thing about Orson Welles was basically at this point just taking parts for yeah. the money alone and, and, and nothing else. Did, I'm sorry, did you, did you mention the dance sequence just now? Uh, no, I didn't. The um, okay. talk about a a beautiful sequence yeah. with that. It's not uh, it's not a comedy sequence or humorous. Is uh, Mata Bond's entire dance sequence and the music that goes along with that is just gorgeous, too. Uh, that's a really shot very well and and very atmospheric. Uh, it's a, it's a gorgeous sequence. It is. It's got that MGM musicals feel to it. Absolutely. Sort of, of old, yeah. it's... Yeah. Has nothing to do with anything whatsoever. Again, I get the feeling that whoever directed that was like, I always wanted to do like an MGM musical. It's like, well, fuck it. we got to put something in here. So. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> I, I know they wanted to build a whole Taj Mahal kind of mm. set, didn't they? But didn't get the money. So you've got that stripped back. Right. Again, looks like a soundstage from yeah. like the MGM musicals. Yeah, you know, it totally works. It it's, totally works in it. It, it does, because uh, I think you need that surreal, weird yeah. look. <laughs> you have the, the German expressionism of the of the uh, the school in Berlin. <laughs> that the whole thing. I love that whole thing about we're heading to the, the Chiefs of Auckland. Who told you about that? It's like you just did. Like, Who am I? <laughs> 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 no, I'm not. I think you're going mad. I think I am. <laughs> you're quite insane, my dear. Quite insane. I do love it at that auction where they think war's broken out. Then you've got all yeah. the different. You've got the American <laughs> recalling war. You've got Burkwark recalling war. And then you've got going, hello. I fear I won't be home for tea. That war's broken out. <laughs> Some sort of war's broken out. <laughs> that and then guy, that, that's, in the the, fight. <laughs> that's the guy that I, I recognize yeah. in all many other different things. I. Not too long ago, I was watching some movie and I got all excited because, like, that's the guy, that's the guy that's in that sequence. I like the little thing in Q Branch where Peter says, like, I'm being followed. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah, being shadowed is whole part of the training. It's like, I can see him, he stood over there. It's like, don't worry about him, he's our security guy. <laughs> what side guy do you dress on <laughs> away from the window? <laughs> but... Oh boy. Oh boy! Yep, I have got to w- sit down and watch that uh, film again. <clears throat> it's yeah. I mean, it's, if if you do watch, it, I can fully understand people watching it in chunks. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's another idea. They could literally break it up into yeah. you know, uh, uh, however many half hour TV segments. Maybe you know, <laughs> if one of the streaming services could could do that, possibly. <laughs> Like they were going to break up Zack Snyder's Justice League movie, just cut this down into little half-hour chunks. There you go. There the first you go. one you'll struggle with, so maybe leave that one and go straight into the second one. <laughs> I hope somebody out there is hearing these ideas and, and, and they're, you know, they're really getting good ideas from them. 
<laughs> but awesome. I think we've pretty much covered that, unless there's anything else you want to add. <laughs> uh, no, I think we've said all my favorite lines. And uh, <laughs> that is the uh, danger when you're talking about comedy is that you can spend a I lot know, of time just saying I lines. Know. But I, I honestly hope that there's one or two people who are listening to this who have who are now inspired to find this movie and, and watch it and see what the hell we're going on about here. <laughs> I said, uh, if, if you're like a 60s comedy fan or a Bond fan or a David Niven fan or a Peter Sellers fan, you've kind of got to watch it anyway, just for the completism of, of it all. All it's, of them. Um, I imagine it'll probably pop up on Amazon again now that they've got the rights to all the Bond stuff. So Yeah, yeah. It's either that or I'm pretty sure you can get the DVD fairly cheap now as well. So, And like I say, look into the making of it afterwards as well because <laughs> yeah. ironically, will, the two unofficial Bond are probably it's, more interesting for what went into making it rather than the actual films, but the book is from the Telos movie classic series, The Making of Casino Royale, 1967 by Michael Richardson. And I got my copy on Amazon a couple of years ago. Cool. I'm after get that. I didn't even know that book existed. So yeah. It says it's a series of guides to some of the most talked about films ever produced. I don't know if this is one of the most talked about films they were produced but uh but it but it is really interesting and i i learned a lot of stuff uh, uh about it uh about the make i mean it was even wilder if you'll pardon the pun even wilder than i imagined or, or yeah. i heard of yeah again i imagine you could, like they did that paramount plus documentary about the making of the godfather uh, not documentary um docuseries drama series sorry about the making of the Godfather. I'm actually yeah. doing something for this. Yeah. <laughs> Except people, be, they'll make it, and then people will go, "What is the movie that it's talking about?" <laughs> Although, I'm not sure if Peter Sellers' family quite want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the, the is a legend. Although I suppose they did that film with um, Jeffrey Rush in the early 2000s, and that wasn't a particularly glowing. Yeah. But then I, I don't think he was particularly nice to his family either. So, yeah. so but yeah, very odd man. But yeah, very odd film, but definitely one to check out. Like I say, especially if you're a Bond fan, you kind of got to watch it as I think so. A curiosity piece. I think if you go into it as a curiosity piece as well, it's a lot to get from it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, right. I mean, I always recommend you go into anything with, with low expectations. Yeah. And I think high expectations that that's the you know the soul killer right now and and we're seeing that all over the place throughout pop culture at this very moment where where people are just have too high of expectations going into things and they ruin it for themselves you know don't don't walk into this one with any expectations just you know except maybe do it uh, to watch an amusing film yeah yeah um, again i like you say (laughs) It's like any summer blockbuster in the last couple of years, go in with low expectations, then you'll either come out pleasantly surprised or not disappointed. Exactly right. <laughs> You're crazy. You are absolutely crazy. They called Einstein crazy. That's not true. No one ever called Einstein crazy. Well, they would have if he carried on like this. People respected Einstein. Einstein could never have conceived of something like this. It looks like an aspirin. It tastes like an aspirin, but it's not an aspirin. It's cyanide. This pill contains 400 tiny little time pills. They go off in the body in little explosions, forming a chain reaction, and turn the person into a walking atomic bomb. 
Einstein's bomb was crude. This is brilliant. It's crude to tie up women. Listen, in a week it'll be April Fool's Day, my birthday. Uh-huh. On that day, the order goes out to have all world leaders assassinated, and my doubles take their places. In five days' time, I'll be ruler of the Earth. <laughs> How would you like to be my co-ruler? With first-time guests, I like to ask them the Bernard Pivo questions made famous by Inside the Actors Studio, if you fancy having a bash at answering them. Yes, yes, I'm, I feel pretty ready. Right, okay. <laughs> so, all right, then, question one. What is your favorite word? That, that's an easy one, uh, Batman. <laughs> it's a name, but it's also a word, too, yeah. <laughs> it didn't do Michael Olsen any harm, did it? It's... <laughs> no. <laughs> And that, and that's not the British Batman. That would be the the superhero Batman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your least favorite word? I had to really think about this one. I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm laughing, and I haven't even said it yet. I'm going to go with quiver, and I don't mean that thing that you keep arrows in. <laughs> <laughs> When, when I was a kid, in, in 1971, there was a song by a group called The Bells. And, and it's funny, the name of the song just flew out of my head, but, the, but there's lyrics in it about how, how, how he makes me quiver. And I hated it as a child. I hated that word as a child for some strange reason. I always thought it was the stupidest word. And then flash forward a few years later, and, the, uh, and then I had to be subjected to it in one of my favorite movies, which is Superman, the movie in the, in the song or spoken word poem that's, that's in that. Can you read my mind? Yeah. <laughs> Lois Lane says, uh, 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 quivering like a small child shivering, <laughs> like, Oh, stop it. <laughs> the a word for me that's always bothered me is, um, panties. And that's in a song called Abracadabra. It was mentioned <laughs> yes, and every time is. I hear it, I just like, you know, <laughs> And otherwise, about the word, I think it's just the way it's not a nice (laughs) word that sort of falls out rather than rolls off the tongue. It's just panties, sounds horrible. Say steppins, yeah, (laughs) steppins, steppins, steppins. It's just, yeah, it's one of those words. (laughs) Yep, I know people think it's like, oh, sexy, but it's like, no, it's not. Well, the same with quiver. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some people, are, you know, might get all, you know, excited over that. It's like, oh, I just can't stand that word. It's just, it's just something icky about it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right then. Um, speaking about sexy things, uh, what turns you on, either creative or creatively, or spiritually, or emotionally? Okay, so <laughs> I, I guess I'm going to have to get a little s- s- serious about this one at the moment. Um, my um, my my wife passed away in 2019, and as a way to kind of work my way through the aftermath of that, I've started to become very inspired uh, in ways to honor her. And last year, I actually founded a, a little publishing house called Becky Books. Her her name was Becky, yeah. and all the books that I do, I I kind of have her spirit in mind when when I do that. Uh, the the unofficial motto of Becky Books is uh, really cool books she would have loved. So she has really now inspired me 
uh, in in my cre in my writing and, yeah. and public and creative per pursuits. So so that's that's the the that's the only answer to that. Yeah, question. no, that's uh, I don't think there's. <laughs> I can stop asking that question. I don't think there's a better answer to it. <laughs> That's I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad. really sorry I, to hear and that. And I made it well. through the it's... question too. Yeah. <laughs> Becky books has turned into something that I, you know, beyond my my wildest yeah. imaginations. That um, uh, I actually put out a book um, last year on her favorite TV show, uh, which is Dark Shadows. Nice. And and that that was like really really inspired by her and. Uh, uh, it's it's a book of where I got a bunch of uh, writers to tell about their childhood memories of watching the show. And it's it's called Running Home to Shadows, because one of the things that Becky always said is that she used to run home from school to watch the show. And it turns out that that's a thing among Dark Shadows fans, the, like the first generation fans, is they all did that same thing. So in the book, I actually got to tell her story of everything that she had always told me. And there's a little photo of her as a kid in there around the time that she would have been watching Dark Shadows. So, so uh, no, it's, it's, it's turned into a very positive yeah. uh, thing now. And, and it, that really, really helped and kind of saved me by, by, coming up with this idea to, to name the publishing, you know, after her and, and to always have her in mind when I choose what books to do next. Yeah, no, that's, that's lovely. That's a great way of doing that kind of story as well. I, I mean, part of the reason I did this podcast is it's not so much about the films. It's about people's memories yeah. of seeing the films and that, and that's the stuff I really dig. Yeah. That's such a nice way to yeah. go angle to go at that book and that, you know, yeah. how it was inspired and, what it's in and our I'm, I'm very proud to say she did not hate Casino Royale 67. <laughs> she didn't exactly love it, but she would watch it, you know, with me. But I remember her saying like, wow, this movie is long, <laughs> <laughs> which isn't always a good sign, but, but she didn't hate it. So I'm very glad I can say that. That's, that's the thing, isn't it? It's not so much that they, you know, your partners have to love what you love. It's that they just are willing yeah. to tolerate it and accept the fact that it means a lot to you kind of thing and, yeah. and vice versa. <laughs> why I found myself stood at gigs for bands. I'm like, why the fuck am I here surrounded by screaming women? It's like, because of you. That's right. <laughs> it will make you pay for it, but... <laughs> but... All right, then. Um, so... <laughs> Bringing it back, it feels almost callous to ask the rest of these questions. That was no, no, such please. a lovely thing. But... I, I remember I looked them over, so yeah. I'm, I'm sort of, I, I, I said it was okay. <laughs> um, what turns you off? Apathy. Yeah, it's yeah. it is it's got to be one of the worst problems in the world right now. Yeah, um, I see it in my day job uh constantly um i i do work with the public and quite a lot of them and over the 18 years that i've worked at this place how much the problem of apathy has grown uh and and everything you know top to bottom it doesn't matter who you are what your background is male female kids you know grandparents nobody cares about anything anymore and if they do it's just for a fleeting moment yeah 
and and then they just you know go on to whatever you know the next thing is um and and i'm seeing it in in pop culture uh too uh which is depressing because pop culture is such a huge part of my life it's even you know now part of my professional life as a writer and editor and publisher but uh yeah yeah it's that's that's definitely one of the top things that bugs me the most yeah no i i can see that and fully relate to it it's everything just feels so disposable now yeah yeah as well more than ever before more than ever before yes it's like we i was talking to somebody else about just as an example, comic book movies. When I was growing up, they were so few and far between that you were grateful you got a Batman and Robin or The Shadow or whatever. And it wasn't the greatest thing, but it was I'm something. applauding that, yes. But now <laughs> That's there's so exactly many exactly how I look at it. It's like, who cares that the last one was crap? Because there'll be another one along in two months or uh-huh. not even that long. But Yeah, we took whatever was that whatever came along... Uh, uh, not too long ago, I recorded an episode of the Bat Cave podcast with my with my podcasting partner John Drew, and he we did a whole episode about the two nineteen seventies uh, DC superhero TV specials, yeah. and and that we were talking about that during that. It's like y- you know why we watch these because we didn't have anything else to watch. Well, you so, know, if, like, if you didn't watch it then and. You didn't yeah. have a VCR. That was it. It was kind of like a one. There's so many things yeah. that I'm like, I remember that, but I cannot find any trace of it anywhere. Who cares how crappy it was? It was a bunch of superheroes, many of them you'd never seen before in live action, <laughs> running around. And that's all that mattered. <laughs> you know, I hate to be the, you know, kids today, they don't know how, you know, good they got it. but But that's exactly what's going on there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, oh yeah, it was like oh that that Marvel's TV show was terrible, but we have another one in a few months, or or we'll have a Star Wars one in just a few weeks. So who cares? You know. Yeah, I was saying about it like with Star Wars. Star Wars used to be an event; it used to be special. Now it's yeah. so you. frequent, and it's it's all to sell toys. Which I mean, Star Wars was always kind of to sell toys as well. It's, it, it was. I but, mean, George Lucas was a very good capitalist. Yeah. You know, I mean. And he's often cited that that he was so concerned about the merchandise, you know, even before the first movie ever came out, that he made sure that he got the kept the rights. Yeah, because uh, he took the cut and you know, pay to, to keep hold of it, didn't he? It's, to the merchandise, which they thought yeah. they were getting a great deal. He was it's imagined... like Mark Hamill was the smart one who was like, "Fine, but I want one piece of every piece of merchandise." Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. And he's story. got a warehouse somewhere just full of Star Wars stuff. Yep. Yep, yep, I'd love yep. To go in there, but... <laughs> All right then. Um what sandal noise do you love? <laughs> that was like one of the most difficult ones for for me to come up with. And you know what? It's so funny. You you great segue there uh Stuart. Um it's from Star Wars. Uh, there are so many sound effects in Star Wars that I absolutely love, but they're not always the the ones that other people might think of like like the lightsaber sound i mean that's okay and all that or the pew pew from the blasters you know what it is one of them is the it's the sound of the uh sensor or whatever it is in empire strikes back when the snow speeders are looking for luke and han after they're out you know seemingly lost and it goes do 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 this well that sound was just used again in last week's Mandalorian. 
episode of Mandalorian. It's the exact same sound. And it was like, oh my God, there's that sound, <laughs> that sound effect. And it was like, okay, I that's Star Wars. I feel very Star Wars at, at the moment. <laughs> so there you go. I love those. I love trying to explain sound effects you love from films as well. It's it's that I always love the sound of like the carbonite chamber, the noise it makes, sort of creaky noise, and the sound of it's just like mm, yeah, mm, that. yeah, and like the Star Trek, the doors in Star Trek opening, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I got to tell you, of all the people behind the original Star Wars, the one to me that is not as his praises are not it's sung as much as they should be as ben burt yeah the who created all of those sound effects sound effects they're still using you know almost 50 years later uh now and and i and i love that because it's a simple sound that transports you back and makes you feel comfortable and 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 that yes i'm in that universe that i love so much and and that's again that's what just happened to me on that last episode of Mandalorian. And then yeah. so funny, I watched an Easter egg video and they pointed that out. They say, that sound right there, that was the same sound. And then they show the snow speeder <laughs> scene. I was like, yes, 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 yes. That's that sound. Awesome. All right, then on, on the opposite end of the scale, what sound or noise do you hate? It's, it's car alarms, but it's not just car alarms. It's car alarms that people don't turn off. <laughs> <laughs> and they go on and on and on and on. There's something about those that just grates my balls. <laughs> and I don't know, uh, you know, I can't tune them out. You know, if I'm at home and it's somewhere in the neighborhood, I, I, here's me looking out the window, going out on my porch. Where is that coming from? Where, why aren't they turning it off? <laughs> oh, do I hate that sound? Yeah, it's it's one of the things as well. It just becomes a noise, doesn't it? It's like nobody's looks twice at car yeah. alarms anymore yeah. either it's just kind of like you know why because because we go right back to apathy yeah. <laughs> so what let it keep going i don't care <laughs> just turn the telly up <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right then the big one what's your favorite curse word uh, <laughs> i had to really think about this one too i'm gonna go with for schlugener <laughs> I, I can honestly <laughs> tell you that's not one we've had before so. <laughs> okay um uh i got that from uh mad magazine if i'm not mistaken uh you know uh i inherited my uh my dad's collection of mad magazines from the 50s nice he actually had a couple of issues when it was still comic book size and yeah. comic book format and then he then from he had the very first magazine when it went to the magazine size and then about a dozen or more after that i love those as a child and I still love those today, even though back when I was a kid, there were so many references that I had no idea what they were parodying, you know, but I'm pretty sure it, well, you know what? I'm pretty sure it's in there, but I think if I'm not mistaken, Stan Lee was using that. Yeah. You know what? Stan Lee was using that in the, in the, in the early days of Marvel comics and letters pages and things like that. Yeah. Or soapbox. He was saying for Schlugener. Uh, and I have no idea if it's actually a real, you know, German word or, or what the hell it means or anything like that at all. But if I can drop that into something I'm saying on Facebook or on Twitter, <laughs> I, I will definitely drop in a Verschluggener in there. No, that's, that's awesome. It's a... All right, then. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? 
Uh, there's another me in an alternate universe that's an uh, uh, an electric bass player. <laughs> Def definitely. I almost got one once many years ago when I was in my 20s. Someone was going to give me one. And they went home to get it and found out that their little brother had sold it. <laughs> so, but uh, I I love electric bass and and I always thought you know that might have been a path that I would have taken once a long time ago. I could never get my fingers to work. I had a guitar for a while and tried to learn. And anybody who heard my haunting rendition of the James Bond theme <laughs> will will attest that me having a guitar was not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Becky was a musician and and I used to always ask her uh, about playing a guitar or or you know things like that. It's like how do you get your 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 two hands to do two different things? I, I just it, you know she's like, well, you just learn, you know it helps if you learn when you're younger, you know, but it's like it's just saying that doesn't make it make sense <laughs> anything. I see. I love watching musicians. It's like um, John Entwistle from The Who, the way he played guitar. Yeah. Like this weird sort of, like he's barely yeah. touching it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. She played an instrument called the Appalachian dulcimer. Right. Uh, which, which, you know, it's a lap instrument. And I, I used to tell her that, that we should film just her hands because she would get going and her fingers would literally dance on the fretboard and and it, it was mesmerizing yeah. sometimes to 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 watch so i it's probably better off that i didn't become a musician <laughs> and just a, and just worked on being a mediocre writer <laughs> and um what profession would you not like to do oh um <laughs> wait wait i had a good answer to this one and now i i can't oh no 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 um <laughs> you know probably something like garbage man you know anything that, that would have to deal with refuse or garbage or anything like yeah. that I, I could not do that with you know i would have to literally have to have you know wear a huge face mask or or something but it's not literally just the smells it would be the sight sometimes yeah. i just can't stand to see the sight of rotting things yeah it's it would have to be something like that no, I can anything involving any form of waste. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You need a full hazmat suit and everything. I think, but um, <laughs> all right. Then. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well, that's that's an easy one. Um, it it would be. I would hope he he would say. Hey, there you are. There's somebody here who's been waiting for you. The cast of Casino Royale, I'm guessing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, no, it would, it would. It yeah, would no, be I know, I know. Yeah, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to make light of it. I'm, just... <laughs> I'm sorry. No, they probably needed that. Yeah, and and then yes, and then and then yes. After we got that out of the way, then yes, and then it would be Peter Sellers and David. <laughs> All of that cast and crew kicking the shit yeah. out of Peter Sellers in a corner. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully jo Joanna Pettit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's cheers for answering those and safer. The answers, lovely answers. Um, I appreciate that. It's a, it's a sort of before we wrap up. Then, sort of what 
what have you got? You've been working, obviously, you've got the Doctor Who podcast and Becky yeah. Brooks and I'm I'm really excited about the podcast um, because we're we're excited about the the hook that we have for it which i i'm not uh i mean i'm becoming a doctor who fan but i did not i have not really you know watched the show before i've always known it existed uh but uh have never had never seen any classic doctor who i the only thing that we had ever watched was the christopher eccleston season yeah. And and we thought it was okay. We watched it when it was new, and we thought it was okay. We we knew it was a big deal that it had, that the show had come back after. I think it's what eighteen years was it off? Something yeah, like it was eighty nine. It went off as a series. You had the Paul McGann special in ninety six, and then two thousand and five. Yeah. It came back proper. Yeah. So, um, and I was telling you before we started recording that I had just recently done this extensive tour through the Ultraman series, the the Japanese ultraman series and just had the best time just absolutely loved it and i when i was done i said what else can i watch i need to do this all over again and i said let you know what other cultural icons are are laying around and i said okay well it has to be the british ultraman which of course is doctor who and they're so the similarities are amazing where they're they're both icons in in their respective countries they both started in the 60s and it's this sort of like regenerating series as you go along um where they have as many almost as many different ultramans as there are doctors the store uh the series are linked for a while they actually call it the showa uh it's the same with the godzilla the first you know, however many Godzilla movies are, are of the Showa era and they're all kind of linked together. Um, yeah. So I mentioned to John Drew, my my co-host on this, I we were we were talking about something else and I told him what I was doing and he, he goes, wait, stop, let's do a podcast. <laughs> you know, it's almost like the the kids in the neighborhood who say, let's put on a show. Yeah. So I said, oh, uh, I guess we could do that. I said, but there's a lot of episodes of Doctor Who. It's going to take us forever. And I think it might have been him that that said, no, we'll do an episode of our show for each storyline. And I said, okay, but we have to start from the beginning. I have OCD and, you know, we can't just jump in with Tom Baker or whoever. And, And he was absolutely fine with that. So John's a big Doctor Who fan and has been for many, many years and knows a lot about it. And I don't. So the whole setup is, is that he's a, a Whovian and I'm the Nuvian. <laughs> and we're we're working our way through the through every storyline of Doctor Who. We are uh, we just recorded uh, about uh, the Romans. Uh, the William Hartnell uh, storyline, the Romans, and we are now currently watching the Web Planet. Yeah. Uh, in two days, we'll record our episode of that. We release uh, every Saturday. The show is called the Doctor's Beard Podcast. <laughs> I did not name it. <laughs> John came up with that name, but he thinks it's very appropriate. So, so we went with it. Uh, you can find it wherever you find you know, fine podcasts, Apple, wherever. Uh, we have a Facebook page for it, the Doctor's Beard Podcast uh, Facebook page. And we actually have a Patreon page for it. And we are making some 
just cool extra stuff that's just for the Patreon awesome. subscribers. Uh, we're 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 doing extra episodes about the Doctor Who comic strip that came out at the same time as the Hartnell uh, shows. Uh, and actually, there's two. There's a Doctor Who, and then there was they had a separate strip for the Daleks. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, really fascinating. We actually had a, a special episode about two different uh, 45 music singles that came out. One was a Christmas one about the Daleks, which was just abysmal, if I may say. Yeah. And then there was also, <laughs> like a couple months later, there was an instrumental called the landing of the Daleks that had absolutely nothing to do with anything Doctor Who or Daleks. It was just this instrumental that they called the landing of the Daleks. We're having a great, great time. And, and I am becoming a Doctor Who fan with, with every, you know, storyline yeah. watching. Yeah, no, that's, that's cool. Like I say, I sort of grew up on it with Ender Peter Davidson Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, and then had a fallow period, a bit like Bond, had a fallow period of nothing from 89 until the mid-90s. Um, and then got back into it when the Christopher Eccleston series came out. Um, I love classic Who. It's for all its ropey charm and <laughs> yeah. yeah, doing stuff yeah. with a budget. Yeah, it definitely has has charm. Yeah. And 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 when the budget is not there, then it rests solely on the the performers. Yeah. And and the characters. And and oftentimes, you know, the the writing and and the story too. And even when all that fails, you know, I'm I I'm become a big fan of Barbara and Ian. Yeah. Uh uh and I'm going to be very sad <laughs> when they when they leave the show. Uh, we've had a lot of discussion about Susan leaving the show and being replaced by Vicky. Yeah. A lot of back and forth, you know, because like I just don't understand it. Uh, and and John's trying to explain, you know, to me like the 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 where's and why fors of Susan Ann Ford's, you know, departure <laughs> from the show. Um, you also asked about Becky books. And for any of my books, uh, you just go to Amazon and put in my name under books. And almost all my books will come up. Uh, there's two that won't come up because the the publisher does not have a, have them on Amazon. I wrote an official Kolchak, the Night Stalker novel, and an official uh, Green Hornet novel based on the, the 60s TV yeah. series. And those can be found at moonstonebooks.com. Otherwise, all of my other books, uh, my licensed work and then my original stuff can all be uh, found. Uh, and I ha I put out fiction and nonfiction. Uh, if you go to Facebook, you can look up the Jim Beard and Becky Books page on Facebook. And then on Twitter, I'm at writer Jim Beard. Awesome. Well, I'll put all the show notes, all the links in the show notes as well. Great. Um, Thanks. So people can get those. And yeah, um, whether people actually look at show notes or not, there's long been a debate, <laughs> but... But you know, if you don't, you'd have that one guy that would say, "Man, yeah, I wish it, I had that link you talked about." That's it. It's always when you forget to put a book that was mentioned, or <laughs> yeah, that somebody calls you out on it. But yeah, it's a. But no, yeah, like I say, I'll put all those in there. And thank you for coming on and doing this. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was interesting oh, to go back and watch the film again. Because I just rebought the Blu-ray for the bonus features, so it was a good excuse to actually. Be like, no, I didn't waste my money on it, love. I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> and and Stuart, I give you so much 
credit for for wanting to do this movie when I suggested it to you. I was expecting you to say, um, yeah, no. <laughs> as long as it's like nothing gory or really nasty, I'll talk to anybody about any film because I genuinely love people talking, telling the stories about why they love films and that Great. passion. As long as they're passionate about it, as long as somebody's not like, you know, I'll talk about this and then they're like, yeah, it's just thing in it it's like, as long as they've got a passion about it and there's a story to it and a reason to it i love talking to people it's, like I say part of this is like documenting people's stories and memories of the film and what it meant to them well it's it's yeoman's service and and i'm so glad you're doing it it's it's i think it's you know really important uh and and stories like that you know can can be very fun i tend to want to talk about like films that very few other people like you know well cheers for doing this i really enjoyed it thank you thanks for having me here not a problem at all thanks for coming on take care take care yeah four three two seven james bonds at casino royale they came to save the world and win the gal at casino Fighting for our lives. Have never found us here. He's gonna save the world at Casino Royale. Casino Royale 1967. And why not? I'd like to thank Jim for joining me on the episode to talk about the film. Please do check out the show notes for links where you can find Jim, his books, and the Doctor's Beard podcast. At the time of recording, Casino Royale 67 is available in the UK on DVD and Blu-ray from Final Cut Entertainment. It's also available to rent or buy digitally from various sites. We put a shout out on the socials for your thoughts on and memories of seeing the film, and we had a couple of replies. SIS Training Gear on Twitter said... So hard for me to get through this film. Just a mess from start to finish. Need about five Vespa Martinis per viewing. Susan Omond on the Am Why Not Facebook group said, Okay, it's not really Casino Royale, but it is slightly Bond related. Thought you might enjoy this. And then she posted a link to an AI generated trailer for a Wes Anderson James Bond film. Which kind of looks like if they did the Casino Royale kind of spoof now, might be what they'd go for. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can watch the video if you haven't seen it already. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts on the film, you can get involved in the conversation wherever you see this episode posted on our social media channel. So if you aren't already, give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram, or why not join the Am Why Not group over on Facebook. Not only will we be kept up to date with uh, what episodes are coming up and have a chance to contribute to them, but we also post our picks of three great movies to check out each week on Freeview TV. If you fancy joining us, just search And Why Not Pod on social media or check out the links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and be bothered to do so, please give the episode a share and tell your friends about it. 
And why not give the series a follow or subscribe over on Acast or wherever you listen to the episodes. If you're feeling super generous, we'd be grateful of a rating or a review if you have a second or two to spare. Or don't, we're just grateful you spent the time listening to us, thank you. If you've missed any Am Why Not episodes so far, you can find them on our podcast channel over on Acast, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, or on our website at hauntednerds.com. In the meantime, though, we'll be going weekly from now on until the end of August which means we'll be back on Tuesday the 20th June, where we stay in the world of James Bond, as I'll be joined by Matthew Bauer and Leslie Poso, the director and editor respectively, of the wonderful documentary The Other Fellow, as I chat to them about the film. But until then, this has been a Nerds Who Haunted Themselves production, and I've been Stuart Moraine. Thanks for listening, and remember, don't worry about the chair with a hole in the middle, it's merely waiting to be reupholstered. Bye for now. <laughs> be careful, that's my loose kneecap. Yeah.